0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. My name is Ithliday. I am the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Uh, joining me this week is one of the great writers for mm-hmm. ATQ Slurms Mac Court. How you doing? I'm doing well. Yourself? Uh, can't complain. Uh, I am not in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, um, <laughs> which may well be the worst city in America, um, at least for a duck. Uh, <laughs> um, well, it was it, it was per- eighty
1: it was eighty four there this morning at nine o'clock when the Oregon baseball game started. So, <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: uh, kind <laughs> of brutal. pretty warm. i mean, I'd rather I'd rather be out in the morning um, than in the afternoon for the yeah. Uh, but uh, the it sure didn't seem to, to do the ducks great you know it was <clears throat> I think uh, you know this is the inaugural Pactwell baseball tournament I think folks had uh, kind of high expectations you, you know for, for making it late into the tournament because the way it's set up was the first game, you know, Oregon had locked in the four seed and Arizona had locked in the five seed. And those two were going to face each other no matter what happened in the final series of the regular season, which was Arizona visiting Oregon. Um, because even if Arizona swept that series, that would have just meant that they were the five, four seed and Oregon, the four seed, either way they were going to play. Um, and then the structure of the tournament is the winner of the, uh, Uh, the four or five game goes on to take on the winner of the one eight game, which would be Stanford and Arizona state. I I think everybody sort of assumed that that Stanford was going to win that. So, uh, and Arizona would lose Oregon if they, even if they, lost to, uh, Arizona would go on to play Arizona state. Now the relevance of that is that two weeks ago, the second to last regular season series, Oregon beat Arizona state in Tempe, the first time Oregon had ever done that and sort of demonstrated that they could play in the heat of Arizona. And then the next week they swept Arizona at home. So it was like, okay, this, this is looking like a pretty kind draw, you know, they'll breeze past Arizona for the fourth straight game. Uh, maybe they lose to Stanford, but even if they do, they they play another Arizona team, you know, which they had shown they had the ability to do. Or if they lose to Arizona, they will probably get Arizona State, uh you know, and they get another bite at the apple. um right. uh, it, it, And what do they do this morning? Recording on Wednesday afternoon, they come out and pitch terribly uh, against Arizona. They went through, I think, five or six. Uh, pitchers definitely four through seven innings um just you know Arizona I think got a hit in every inning um, just uh, uh, you know uh, Gordon could not you know pull off the relief of Schiffrelli at all um, What did you see in in today 's game against Arizona? yeah, I was really surprised
1: frankly i i I did a little bit of analysis uh, of the Arizona series itself, and I thought because of what I saw there. That Oregon was going to do well pitching wise. They didn't. If you look at the the number of innings, for example, that people pitched, um, almost nobody pitched very many innings except Isaac Aon, who had a complete game victory in the second game, and Jay Stoffel, who started on uh, the Saturday game. He pitched seven innings. Everybody else pitched two or three or four or even part of an inning so i figured that the ducks would come in pretty well rested uh from the, from the mound and that's for some reason that just didn't seem to work out that way and i'm not one i i heard one of the arizona players after the game say that they had a 5 a.m. wake up call for this tilt uh and i wonder if it was just the early morning tenor of this game that caused oregon's pitching to be just not sharp um, I, I thought because of the rest that everybody, most everybody, got that Oregon's pitching would be great. It didn't surprise me to see Sifatelli uh, start. He started. Now he started four of the last six games for the Ducks. Um, so, and it just they just could not get enough going from the mound and at the plate. I mean, obviously, six runs is a reasonable number. But they had a, a, a bunch of innings where Oregon would have one or two runners on base with one out and could not score. Yeah, yeah and, they
0: wound up getting fewer than half the runs as they did hits, which is when you're underwater yeah. like that, it's no good. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, they wound up straining a lot. Um, and, it, you know, I don't really think that Arizona's got great pitching. Um, no, you they, know, have, they I,
1: certainly haven't. They didn't show it in the series in Eugene, certainly.
0: I mean, honestly, you know, whether or not, you know, all you can do is get by guys on on base, right? Like, it's the reason Mm -hmm. why the the whole sabermetric insight is that your on-base percentage is your value um, and and that really nothing else matters. And it doesn't even matter how you get on base. You just need to get dudes on base. Um, Right. And, you know, how the chips fall after that is essentially random, uh, um, but the better your on-base percentage, the better your likelihood of driving guys who you already got on-base home. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't have a problem with the offense uh, in this series. Uh, they they put up a bunch of hits. They got on-base. They, you know, six runs is enough runs to win most baseball games. Right. Uh, You know, I don't got a gripe with the offense, you know, whether, you know, driving in another couple of runs would have been, you know, nice, of course. But, you know, in my opinion, it's sort of like, you know, that that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes giving up eight runs is no good. And it comes down to the pitching. Like, I I really am sort of astonished at how poor the pitching was. I mean, like the second reliever, it comes in, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, first pitch nails the batter, walks in, yeah. uh, you know, Oregon, Britain I believe walked day. in two runs, you know, today, uh-huh. uh, you know, it, it's what we've been talking about, you know, the, well, the, this entire podcast, the life of this podcast, uh, has been like, Oregon's got a big bullpen. They don't really seem to have an ace and it's frequently pretty inconsistent. Like, um, and today was just like one of the most inconsistent performances that I have you know, seen out of this pitching staff. And is they, they picked a, you know, you know, blow that on the Saturday game of a, a series that you win, man, don't blow it in the tournament. You know? Yeah. The crazy, the
1: crazy thing about, you know, what you were saying earlier, Britain was real. Britain was the third pitcher uh, for oh, right. Oregon today. He came in. Uh, he ended up getting one out and hit a batsman. Those were, that was his total uh, effort on behalf yeah. of the ducks today. And that's just, you know, unacceptable. You had, uh, you know, Three of the five pitchers for Oregon give up runs. Britain didn't. He didn't give up any runs, at least, but he certainly did not help the squad any by hitting a batter. You cannot have your relievers come in and giving give up all those runs. They gave up four runs in the last three innings uh, and, and, in fact, had taken the lead in the game uh, in the bottom of the sixth and then were outscored four to one the rest of the way to lose it. So they they really needed to cl- when they needed a reliever to come in and shut down the Wildcats, they couldn't get it done.
0: And and I mean, when you look at the rest, you know, the way the rest of the team is constructed, it's you know it's a championship level baseball team right you Mm -hmm. don't see fielding errors Uh, i know there was one error in this game but like you don't see a lack of athleticism you don't see you know any of these guys who like all they can do is one thing and they're below the mendoza line at other you know aspects of their you know baseball career no you have nothing but well-rounded athletes you got sluggers you got guys who can play small ball you've got you know athletic Base runners, you got, you know, stolen bases, they manufacture runs, they, you know, everything that you can want in order to be a championship baseball team was got, you know, he's even got adequate staff at the bullpen, which like a lot of teams when I've been watching Pac-12 baseball, like mm-hmm. don't have adequate staff, they might have, right. uh, uh, you know, uh, an an ace you know they might have one pitcher who's better than anybody that oregon's got but all they've got is that guy right yes um,
1: yeah if you can get uh, past the starter then you're really in clover
0: uh right and uh and that's what we've seen all the time with oregon mm-hmm. is sort of like you're yawning through five innings and then they blow it up in the right. late innings, right yep. because you're going up against the relief and the relief can't you know can't close um You know, everything that Oregon needs in order to be a championship level baseball team is in place, except they don't have, you know, consistent, reliable pitching and they don't have an ace. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird
1: in a way, because that one of the things that uh, Coach Wasikowski talked about preseason was how confident he was in his pitching big, big arm was the the words he used to describe almost everybody on the staff. And I don't think it's fair to say that we've seen that during the course of the season. It's sometimes, but certainly not consistently.
0: Well, you know... I think you just got to be a complete baseball team to go the distance. And it's, mm-hmm. this has been, you know, very tantalizing. Um, I'm not sure really what the team composition is going to look like uh, for next season. And I mean, this season isn't done. We shouldn't be pouring dirt on it yet. Uh, right. Stanford just defeated, as we've been speaking, Stanford defeated Arizona state. So Oregon will face uh, Arizona state tomorrow. Um, I believe they will get the uh, afternoon game or no, no, they get No, the it's a 9 a.m. Yeah. Yeah um uh they get the morning game against arizona state arizona state is a team that they uh beat in arizona the state of arizona um d- you know two weeks ago so uh you know you'd like their chances but then you'd like their chances against arizona a team that they swept you know a couple days ago yes um right. So you know who knows I you know to me I, I'm I'm fairly confident in Oregon's bats I'm fairly confident in Oregon's fielding I'm fairly confident in their ability to manufacture runs their pitching I mean it's not even that it's bad pitching right like mm-hmm. it's not bad pitching it's inconsistency no. in, in, right. in the pitching you know it's right. like you know uh, we have seen games in which the pitching just completely shuts down like like you mentioned Aon had that you know complete game you know like mm-hmm. yeah uh it's just like you know there there are games like this one where uh you know like i'm i'm screaming at my my screen to like pull him pull him pull him and like was wasn't bad about it i think i thought he left gordon in a little too long but like you know he, he was, he was pulling pitchers, you know, I think that's the yeah. right thing to do, but like at, at a certain point, it's like, okay, one of you guys got to be able to pitch. you know. Well, you know,
1: yeah. With all the guys they've got on the roster or with a P after their names.
0: Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the solution to that is this season. I don't know what the solution to that is going forward, at, you know, into next season. Um, but you know, let, let's hope for some consistency going forward. Definitely. Um, uh, let's wrap it up uh, for baseball there and take a break. Uh, We get back. We'll uh, we'll conclude the softball season. So the softball team uh, traveled last week to uh, uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, they drew the number four seed, uh, Arkansas, in the regionals. Um, they also got to play two games against Wichita State. Um, they crushed Wichita State both times. Uh, I think we predicted that uh, last time on the podcast. Um, they uh, they never got to see the fourth team in the in the regional, Princeton. Um, they, they got. Uh, smoked by, I believe, Wichita, no, they got smoked by Arkansas to start out and then Wichita State the next time, um, which is why Wichita State earned the right to get smoked by the Ducks uh, (laughs) the next time around. But um, when it was time for the Ducks to play Arkansas, they lost both of those games. What did you see in uh, Oregon's last two games um, against uh, uh, the number four uh, Razorbacks? Well, I think we saw some of the things that we saw throughout the season.
1: Um, In particular, Oregon played uh, two innings, half innings in these two games, <clears throat> where they gave up six runs in each of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, again, other than that, against Arkansas, they played them very even. But they had two innings or half innings really in against Arkansas, where Oregon gave up half a dozen runs, and in in both of those. Uh, That was the difference in the game. Aside from those two half innings, Oregon played Arkansas very close, but you had the same sorts of problems occur in those half innings that we've seen from time to time, sometimes frequently, where one inning of pitching mistakes or mistakes in the field or whatever it is causes Oregon to lose the game ultimately. And that's what happened against Arkansas. I was actually encouraged for a lot of those games, uh, especially in that second game when Oregon stormed back to tie the game at three to three. Mm -hmm. I really thought they they had a chance to, to win and extend the regional another game. But then they had this inning, this half inning where they simply couldn't get anybody out and they gave up some strong hits and arkansas is a good hitting team don't get me wrong
0: yeah i think the remarkable thing is that you know a lot of that was done with two outs you know like yes you're right on the verge at one point i think at one point it was two outs and two strikes you know they were one strike away from you know retiring and you know and and not having much damage done and still being in the game and then didn't happen Yeah. I I mean, I I know what you're saying. It's not uh, like it sounds a little perverse to say, but like, well, if you just delete those 12 runs, Oregon was totally (laughs) in it. But dude, you're right, though. You know, like I, I, I think you're 100% correct. I don't think that Oregon was like embarrassed or outclassed in these games. I actually was with you that, you know, I thought that Oregon showed that they like that this iteration of the Oregon softball team belongs in, you know, championship conversations you know uh uh it it's just you know the the when it gets away from you it really gets away from you yes. you know problem right. right um and i don't and i, I guess, don't know if
1: that's a i don't think it's a talent problem per se some of it i think is an inexperience problem uh especially on stevie hansen's part who of course is a freshman uh and has not pitched at this level before except in, within Pac-12 games this season. So perhaps with these experiences that she's had, she'll be able to handle those situations a little bit better. Um, you know, and so I hope that in future, uh, like with any loss, you, what do you take from it? You try to take something positive out of it, uh, an experience that perhaps help you, helps you learn something about yourself as a player going forward and how you can avoid that sort of situation again.
0: Well, the thing, you know, I definitely think that you're right about the pitching, um, that like, and the sort of general team and experience, it's a relatively young team and it's definitely young in the circle. Um, uh, you know, the fact that, that, you know, when Ynez got injured and the, you know, and Clithermis had such an up and down season, you know, d- Uh, that, you know, everything sort of rode on Stevie Hansen's shoulders. And like, yeah, you saw some breakdowns, you know, and it's sort of understandable. And, you know, there's a lot of high-pressure situations. And, you know, there's a reason why across all sports, putting true freshmen in high-pressure situations is often a recipe for disaster. I'm not, you know, uh, none of that stuff really keeps me up at night. Um, The thing that, and the other thing that should be said about this team is that, like, if you look at their you know, the games that they lost or series that they lost. uh, And then look at the RPI, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. rankings, uh, you know, like they're not losing games to bad teams. You You know, know. usually that's a sign of a a team that's in trouble. This is like, yeah, they lost to Arkansas, the number four team, and they lost to UCLA, which I think is the number 12 team. And they lost to Arizona State, which I think is the number eight team. You know, like, uh, you know, they're, you know, you'd like to see them steal a couple of those series, you know, and if they, they're going to take the next step, that's the next step is to start, you know, beating teams that are, you know, peer programs in, mm-hmm. in the championship caliber. And, you know, that wasn't really happening this year, but like, you know, the encouraging thing is that like, they're, they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat, you know, by and large. Uh, I definitely think they have an athletic advantage on a lot of the teams that they play. Like the Ducks are simply faster, you know, better fielding. They whip the ball harder um, when they're, you know, throwing it around. Um, They play small ball better. They steal bases better. You know, they have a a distinct Mm -hmm. athletic advantage against a lot of teams and that provides them a very nice floor. Um, When they play teams against whom they don't have an athletic advantage over, Because they're, you know, peer level programs. Like, there's, you know, that's where you need something else to give you the edge. Often that comes from in in softball, it comes from pitching, and Oregon didn't have that. And so, therefore, you know, basically every time they played a better team, you know, they lost. But like, that doesn't break my heart. I I understand why the pitching situation (laughs) is where it was. The thing that, I, the, the thing that gives me the only real thing that gives me pause about the softball program at all. And I'm interested in in what you think about this is this is year four from Melissa Lombardi.
1: Um, Mm -hmm.
0: I sort of thought that I would see at times that they'd let a team beat them twice, you know, that like the hangover Mm -hmm. from the previous game would, would fall into the next game or the, from the previous series into the next series. And like, I sort of, you know, and, and also to your point about like, well they did great until they had you know that the no good horrible very bad you know inning um i wonder how much of that is psychological and like sort of not being ready you know to handle the pressure um and like that's coach's job you know like that's arguably coach's number one job um it's not it's like coach's number four job but anyway uh it's a high priority um does this season give you pause at all about Melissa Lombardi's ability to get her team ready to play psychologically?
1: Not not a gigantic
0: concern,
1: but something that is going to bear, I think, close watching uh, next season. There, there were a couple of series, the, the UCLA one, I think, in particular, where... Uh, Oregon lost a close game in the first game against the Bruins and then came out super flat in the second game. They ended up closing the game to five to two by the time it was all over with. But it was a game they were never really in. And And at that time, that's sort of the way I felt about it is what you were talking about, which is they were down from having lost a close game the day before and were not ready to play again. And so, and that's definitely on, I mean, the, the players need to take their share of that, but but that is on the coaching staff uh, and Melissa Lombardi to get that team to forget about what happened yesterday and focus on this. Cause every game, as we fi- have found, every game is important. You can't, you can't throw any way. You can't mail any in, especially in the PAC 12, uh, almost no matter who you're playing, you have to be ready to play and, And that, I think, is an area, one area I think that we can definitely look at for improvement for next season.
0: I mean, the reason that I ask that question about the softball team, and I didn't really ask that question about the baseball team, um, is – you know the the problem that I would identify with the baseball team comes down to one unit, which is the pitchers. Which I suppose mm-hmm. you know that is some psychological stuff, but really I just think it's sort of mechanical. Uh, you know, mostly, and it probably has to do with like they just need you know they need better and more you know reliable pitching. Um, you know, I don't really have questions about that, and, and it's really like, I don't see like the whole team slumping. Like I, I you right. know with the exception of, of of one or two games where they got shut out and. You know, I I, I sort of do think there were some psychological factors, but, you know, it was fairly isolated. Like, I didn't really sense you know letdown games or anything like that I sense letdown games for the softball team uh you know a lot more often and it was like across the entire you know it wasn't just batting and it wasn't just pitching it was also like fielding it was like right. sloppy errors and not being able to shut down the small ball stuff not being you know you know bad throws that didn't pick off somebody who's stealing a base like that, that sort of stuff like mm-hmm. um you know, I, I thought that I was seeing that more on the softball side than the baseball side, which is why I asked about it. And then the other thing, the other reason why I asked, you know, about it is that like, I think we're all pretty happy with Waz. I think we're all pretty happy about the upgrade that he represented over George Horton, you know, is as grateful as as I think Oregon fans are to Horton for reviving their baseball program. Like I think is just straight up a better coach. Um, like, the softball situation is a lot weirder, right? Like Oregon basically fired Mike white. I mean, it's not exactly what happened. He asked for right. a raise. Rob Mullen said no. And right. like a big part of the Oregon fan base, which was almost certainly for financial reasons, like softballs, not bringing enough revenue in order to justify that kind of raise. But like the other part of the reason and, and sort of like tore the fan base apart um, was, you know, for a lot of folks, like they were just sort of sick of Mike white's teams looking like garbage when they made it to the, the women's, <laughs> college world series you know and i I haven't really taken your temperature on that question i felt i i didn't really have an opinion one way or the other on on white's retention or or firing but i did feel very strongly when i was watching his teams play that it wasn't that he was playing you know superior teams it was that that team oregon's team was not ready to play Mm-hmm. They, you know, whatever mental preparation that Mike White was doing or should have been doing in order to get them ready to play in Oklahoma was not happening. Um, and that I was seeing not like, oh, you just lost to a better team. Well, uh, you know, that happens at this level of competition. It like does. what I was seeing was no, that's a peer-level program who you ought to have 50-50 odds at, but it was like a zero percent chance because you're throwing the ball into the stands when you're trying to field, you know, or yeah. you're, you know, you're sliding five steps early and, <laughs> you know, you know, stuff like that. that. That That's what I felt I was seeing. I know we're reaching back into time here, but I, you know, I'm curious about this is like, probably the most important question for, for Oregon softball the last, you know, five years is this question. What did you think? Um, well, you don't,
1: um, first of all, Mike White was coaching in youth softball when my daughter was playing. So I knew of him previous to his coming to Oregon. And so, uh, he was a, a batting coach that was very highly respected, uh, guy, which is wonderful. And I was really pleased when Oregon got him, but I don't, I don't think you can. You, I don't think a Pac-12 championship program should go to Oklahoma City and play the way that Oregon played there. Uh, and we've talked about this uh, a lot in articles and a couple of times on the podcasts. The Pac-12 is the toughest softball conference, top to bottom, in the country. I, I don't know. That. I, I don't know a- anyone that can hold a candle to if, if the Women's College World Series was uh, uh, between the eighth place finishers in all of the conferences around the country. the Whoever that comes out of the Pac-12 is the one that's going to win that thing hands down. So when when any team and it, it'll be Arizona State this year, of course, go, uh, hopefully goes to. Um, goes to the women's college World Series, you expect them to be one of the top teams, if not the top teams. And the, the historic results of that tournament prove that out. Uh the Pac-12 has, or Pac-10 in some cases, but the Pac-10 and 12 have more championships uh than anybody has. So there's some there was some disconnect between Oregon's ability to win games against high level competition in the Pac twelve and Oregon's ability to win games against high level competition in the women's college World Series. Because the, the competition was not dramatically better or something. It was at, at worst it was equal to what Oregon had faced during its regular season conference games so it's it's hard to explain how you could go there and do as badly uh as Oregon did and i i agree that it was not acceptable and mike's a great coach i think um you know we'll we'll see if he ever is able to however take that the next step that needs to be taken
0: hey they just for... beat washington and the other yeah. regional so yeah yeah, we'll, so we'll see. see Texas yeah, goes. we'll
1: see if he can go to if if they can now win the super regional, uh, and get back to the WCWS.
0: So you are uh, just to take your temperature on this. You uh, agree that what many fans seem to see uh, was not just that they were playing, you know, better teams in the Women's College World Series, but that they really were you know, it, it really was sort of like across the board, there's fielding problems, there's, um, you know, sloppy play problems, there's, you know, the, the playing flat, like not generating the same number of manufactured runs, not playing their small ball correctly. You know, you were seeing, you don't think that was an illusion? No, I don't. I,
1: I think it had to have been, and it has to be nerves because the team was fundamentally sound every place else. It just doesn't seem like suddenly at the end of a season, all of a sudden people just kind of lose it and can't figure out how to field a ball or throw a ball anymore.
0: So the relevance of this whole discussion about Oregon softball five years ago uh, is, uh, you know, I think that's what would make Oregon fans nervous about Lombardi is that, you know, oh no, what if this is just Mike White's psychological problems, but now we're not even getting to the supers, you know, like, did, did, did we, did we trade bad for worse? Um, What do you think about that
1: supposition? I think it's, I think the jury's out on it, to be perfectly honest. And, and these two innings, half innings against Arkansas would be the main evidence that I would put forward that we're basically in the same boat, maybe not quite as good talent-wise, and maybe that's that's why we're not in the Supers or not in the WCWS, uh, as opposed to some mental game. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that the, the jury's out on the mental toughness of this program uh, until they prove otherwise. And doing that means... They have to figure out a way to eliminate these half innings or two half innings where they give up tons of hits and tons of runs um, or, or other games where they come out and they're just flat. And that's one of the things that really upsets me sometimes about the football program is they will come out and just seem flat to me. Like they're not really happy to be there. Don't, you know, they're worried about something that has nothing to do with the game at hand. And so, uh, you know, I think next season, I would say Coach Lombardi has got to show that she has the mental game going for the Ducks because next year they're going to have uh, some stability in the, in the pitching game. There are fewer reasons why we can make excuses for some of the losses and some of the problems that happen because of what goes on in the circle. And so once you start removing these other things, now all of a sudden the focus becomes, well, what is it? If it's not that anymore, it has to be something else. And so Coach Lombardi, I think, has has, got to come forward next year with a strong mental team.
0: All right, let's take a break. Uh, When we come back, we'll uh, talk about some of the other uh, sports and and talk a little uh, football around the Pac-12. Okay, so uh, in addition to the horror show in Scottsdale for baseball, uh, the uh, women's golf team also went down to Scottsdale uh, to uh, uh, play some golf. What did you see out of the the golf team?
1: Uh, Really dominant performance one of the great things that that but actually both of the Oregon golf teams the men's team and the women's team this season have done is uh, they, they sometimes they've started out a little bit slow um, e- even on their their home course a couple of times uh, the first day they don't really play very well sometimes it's uh environmental causes like high winds or rain or some crazy uh combination of the two but what what happens is they will come back the next day. And this is exactly the opposite of what we were talking about earlier with the softball team, where they get more focused as these tournaments go on. And so you'll see uh, the, the women, particularly in this the NCAA tournament, they were, I believe, seventh or fifth the first day. Uh, and they played a, a tremendous round, the best round uh, to that point of uh, the championship and move to second place. And then they maintain that second place rating throughout the rest of the tournament. Uh, and and so the NCAA golf tournaments work a little bit differently than some of these other tournaments, wherein you play f- four days of um, metal play. So each player plays and they're code up the scores for four of the five players for each team uh, and add them all up and see who's got the lowest one. But what that, all that accomplishes really is to winnow down the field of 24 teams that are entered down to eight teams that then play match play against each other based on their seeding, the way they finished in the the uh, medal play part of the tournament. So Oregon ended up the second seed uh, and had a, a tremendous day yesterday. They won two matches, um, and San Jose
0: Starter. State and then
1: Texas right A&M. and then right. Texas A&M they won both of those four to one so dominant performances by Oregon's women to get into today's final uh against number one Stanford
0: I do like that it's an all pack twelve affair, yes. and I like that apparently the seating was entirely appropriate you know one versus two that's how you would expect it to go down right uh, they are playing that match as we are recording um it's not looking great for the ducks you know it's it's currently four to one for stanford um they're about halfway done um like uh oregon's got a chance of flipping one match maybe two like this mm-hmm. if they really turn it around if chacon and, and nielsen really turn it around against engelman and Zhang uh, respectively like they they might have a chance, but they're just getting clobbered in the other two matches. Yeah, um, yeah. Nielsen's
1: and, got Nielsen's got a tough row because Zhang, of course, was the overall medalist in the right. the uh, medal play. So she'd have to beat basically the number one seated individual player um, in, in this match, which she'd be certainly capable of doing. But it's a tall order. Yeah.
0: Um, nonetheless if they don't pull it off against stanford like i had this might be the most pathetic and rallying cry in the world but uh number two ain't bad you know like who to who to thunk it that oregon was a golf school yeah um And the men are, are, you know, they they are off to their national tournament too. We will, that'll wrap up next week and ATQ will cover it at that point. Um, But, you know, Oregon, the men have already won a national championship uh, a couple years ago. Um, You know, this has been, uh, uh, I feel like a pretty impressive season for for both the women and the men, you know, that they're, uh, you know, given that, uh, you know, golf is sort of an under the radar, uh, sport, you know, it's not one that, you know, draws a lot of headlines. It's hard to find it on television. Um, mm-hmm. and yet Oregon has been, you know, pretty consistently building up its programs on, on both the men's and the women's sides and, you know, playing with the best and playing well, you know, I, I think that's, a, uh, I I think that's, you know, quite an accomplishment and, and, uh, on top of that, I don't think there's any reason to think this is going away. You know, it's not like, um, for either of these teams that, oh, this is just totally relying on like one generational player. And as soon as she or he leaves, that that's it. The team's going to collapse. Like that's not what it looks like to me at all. It looks like Oregon's made a very serious um, investment. It looks like they, you know, recruit, you know, the best of the best and that that will probably continue going forward. Wouldn't you think?
1: yeah that's that is my expectation. It's fascinating to me honestly that uh i I'm a golfer personally, and I don't think of uh Oregon as a state as being like a a great place many months of the year to go out and play golf i I'm not a huge fan of playing in wind or rain or the conditions that are around here basically from October or November through the springtime so it's it's great that Oregon can take. Uh, a sport like this that, that you would expect not not to do as well against players who live in Arizona and can basically play year round with great weather, except when it's 125 or whatever it gets to in the afternoons in the summer, uh, or Ca- or Southern California, or some of these other states where the weather is nice all the time, or basically all the
0: time. Oh, I don't know. I mean, Stanford's in the Bay Area is true. famously said the, uh, coldest winter I ever spent was the summer. in.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm really pleased that, uh, that they're doing as well as they are. And, and, uh, it's, it's a, a program that has built itself and, and seems to me to be on a track to continue having success going forward. Cause there's, there's obviously a commitment to it by the university.
0: Well, and, and by Nike, let's be honest, like, you know, golf is definitely a sport that Nike is, you know, put a lot of emphasis on, you know, expanding their footprint. I think that Nike would be very pleased with having, you know, Oregon slash Nike, you know, branded golfers. I think they would love for those folks to go onto the PGA and WPGA circuit, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, in Nike gear with, right. you know, Nike equipment and throwing O's, uh, to the cameras. Um, I, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I really loved it, you know, seeing all the golf players when they would be interviewed or whatever, they have got like, you know, O's on their cheeks, you know, like they're, in, you mm-hmm. know, they're not, you know, these, they don't strike me as mercenaries, you know, like, right. Uh, yeah, you know, I was pretty encouraged by that. Uh, the track and field team, as we discussed last week, uh, they, they had a little bit of time off after winning the the Pac-12 uh, championships. The men and the women uh, swept it; a very impressive performance. Um, they uh, will be playing the West um, uh, Regional, which, in another one of these in the same city thing, is in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, Good. Uh, that, that, uh, starts up, you know, this week sort of goes over the weekend and that's something else that we will cover, um, uh, at the beginning of next week, you know, when it wraps up, I think everyone expects, uh, Oregon's track and field to do very well and move on to the the next round, uh, you know, the national, uh, level. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to see some of this stuff on television. There's been a little, there was a little bit of streaming of certain events, um, uh, at the Pac-12 Championship, uh, I wound up watching a lot of women's hammer throw. Uh, it, just, it, was, <laughs> it was not a good time for I was I was writing an article while watching women's hammer throw. Um, was, uh, sort of, and it was like it was raining in Eugene, and like the the ladies did not like being rained on. I was like, cover anyway. Uh, I am looking forward to some some real high level track and field you know competition, and I'm definitely looking forward to, to watching it on my TV screen.
1: Yeah, those uh those NCAA meets, the the championship meets are amazing to watch because you have so many very high level athletes uh competing in them. And it's just like the some of the performances are just mind blowing how athletic they are and how, you know, smooth and good they are at the it, and it's years of practice, don't get me wrong, they didn't just show up and decide to be in a track meet, but Um, It's really impressive to watch the culmination in some cases of some of these careers uh, where people have have really worked to become as great as they are.
0: Well, and the other thing about it is that, you know, that's at that level of competition, you are seeing... That's a preview of worlds, uh yes. coming up later on. That's right. a preview of the Olympics in a couple Olympics. of years. Olympics, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just like in it's just like with college football when you're watching um you know, when you're watching the playoffs now and like cincinnati georgia alabama you know these teams who have like most of their rosters you know drafted uh and, and you're literally just watching you know like an nfl preseason game because that's you know those dudes are literally the dudes that are going to be you know you're, yes. like, watching on sundays for the next yeah. you know same thing for track and field like at this level of competition you are watching you know the elite of the elite athletes it's not like you know track and field athletes get really good by age 35 you know like no this is the prime yeah. you know like, right yeah exactly but, you know, the reason why, you know, the Pac-12 is the, the, the conference of champions, <laughs> Olympic sports is because, you know, they're not done with college when they go off to, you know, Beijing or Athens or, or wherever it is that they're competing, like they're, they're, they're doing it, you know, they come right back and go back to to, to class, you know, yes. Well, I, uh, wrote an article this week, um, about the Colorado Buffaloes, uh, continuing my series, previewing them. We have biz- bizarrely, uh, it's a total coincidence. We've been going almost perfectly alphabetically. Um, and, and, and it will continue because the next two are going to be, uh, Stanford and Oregon state. Although I think we're going to flip those two up, uh, anyway, um, the the first half of the alphabet uh, for the Pac-12 is not great football teams, uh, with the exception of uh, the Oregon Ducks potentially. Um, the Colorado is um, looking like a pretty sad program, frankly, um, right now. Uh, they um, they were one of the couple of teams, Washington happily being one of the other ones that had a net talent drain between 21 and 22, um, in terms of like what they're because. Uh, here, here was the like the crushing stat about Colorado. They had they lost nine blue chip players. You know, nine players who out of high school or Juca were were rated 0.89 or better. Um, that means you know four or five star. Um, they lost nine of them. They only got one come in, um, who was an offensive lineman. And even him, I'm not certain he's going to play. Um, uh, or if he is, he's not going to play center, which is the position they really need help at. Um, and, and like, yeah, that's the sort of thing where it's like you know, they, they were coming off of a a pretty good 2020. It was probably, um, that was probably a bit of a fluke or probably a bit of a mirage. You know, it's probably, you know, 2020 was such an upside down year. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons, uh, but like, boy, if Darrell was the guy who was going to lead those guys out of the wilderness, um, you know, they would have, you know, they would have brought in a lot more talent and staunched some of the losses. And that's just not what happened. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, uh, you know, just it's, uh, just up and down the board it's you know what you what you keep running into all the time like you it, it's it's weird when we're doing these conversations you know you know i'm re- recording jack Barsh of ralphie report our, our sister site on the, the sb nation network where it's like you know every one of these units you're sort of like yeah there's a bright spot there or yeah that was a tough loss or like how do you think oh i actually think that this you know might might work out or we had a long conversation about the defensive coordinator chris wilson who <laughs> maybe unique in the pac 12 looked at his the roster talent that he has like the roster balance like where the bodies are where, where they're they got extras and where they're thin um and it was like well my preferred form of defense doesn't fit this roster so we're not gonna do it we're gonna do something that makes more sense you know for the roster which like blew my mind because yeah, I mean I'm that... I'm I'm telling you slurms like I, I do like you know 12 of these recordings and I, I get to say that maybe like once <laughs> it's like yeah that was these... to me
1: that was one of the themes of this article was um That that inability to change what you want to do based on the personnel you have. And what, what do you think is the impetus for that? So many coaches come into a program or have been at a program for a while and they have Personnel that might be good in a certain system, but it's not a system they like or they run or whatever. No, maybe is the right word for it. Why are they why do you think these coaches are so inflexible with regard to taking the talent that they have and putting it in the best position possible for them to be successful?
0: Well, I'm never going to know that one for certain. It's not like I'm a college football coach. And even if I were, I, I, uh, you know, I'm not in their meetings. Um, (laughs) But, you know, the the most, you know, straightforward explanation, and therefore probably the best one is that they're not really masters of their craft, you know, like Mm -hmm. a, a master chef, you know, even if that person is someone who's like, You know, they've studied all their life about Italian cooking, you know, and they can, you know, authentically recreate a whole variety of dishes and even extemporize and like, well, this dish was never prepared by, you know, mama in Sicily. But like, I can figure out how to fuse these different things of northern Italian and southern Italian cooking to make this, you know, fantastic dish. But like, you know, that person, if you gave them, um, you know, some raw fish and said, make me, you know, some tasty sushi, like they'd still Mm -hmm. do it. Right, because right. they're a master of their craft. Right, like mm-hmm. if you if you said bake me, uh, you know, a black forest cake, they'd make you a delicious black forest cake. Or right? if they you said make me tacos, they'd make you delicious tacos because that's what a master mm-hmm. of their craft is able to do. They're able to you know be flexible. They understand the basic components of what they're doing, the chemistry, you know, and, and like can recreate, you know, or it's, can synthesize and 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 improvise. Like, and I feel like most of the college football coaches that I wind up studying are not that they mm-hmm. they got good at the thing that they got good at and they can't do anything else and if you you know asked them you know if they're an expert in Sichuan cooking and you asked them to make tiramisu they'd fall on their face you know right um and i i sort of expect that you know given the financial commitments that the pac-12 has which is not as much as other power five conferences that like they're sort of stuck with those dudes um mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, and so it is, it has been remarkable to, to, to look at what I think Colorado is going to do defensively and, and actually, you know, Chris Wilson, the defensive coordinator that I'm talking about, longtime defensive line coach, um, occasionally, you know, gets a DC job and runs a four, it's always been a four or three, and then he gets to Colorado and, you know, as you note, you know, I spent a lot of time artic- in the article developing, like I was trying to solve this mystery of like what kind of defense he's going to run. And ultimately I think, you know, what he showed in the spring game is what he's going to stick with. Uh, you know which is a two, four, five because that fits their their defensive roster better um, which made me like tip my hat to the guy I was like oh look master's craft is one of the reasons why even mm-hmm. though I feel like a, a number of Oregon fans were, were for some reason upset with Joe Moorhead last year um, because like they didn't you know like what they were seeing all the time on the offense I was like Joe Moorhead is the last guy that you should be blaming um, for these yeah. problems like what what I see out of Moorhead is you know in addition to the, a lot of what I liked about the play calling Oregon I believe was number three in the country and third down conversion rate like you don't get that from bad play galling dude um was that i thought that joe moorhead was a master of his craft you know in the in the 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 theme that i've been developing here you know that, that that guy um you know with what roster talent you had he would design an appropriate playbook and it would look completely different from his playbook at his last school because you know that was his ability um And and so like maybe we're seeing that with with Chris Wilson for for Colorado, and if so, he might be a hot commodity going forward. You know, one of these like one of the kind of guy that that you wouldn't see unless you do this sort of project and do, you know, film Mm -hmm. study and roster reviews where it's like his defense may not be great because he's coaching for a low talent team, but, you know, the real sharp guys might uh, you know who evaluate the coaching profession and make suggestions uh, for future hires like if if this turns out to be true about chris wilson he may be you know a guy who's going places in the future which unfortunately for colorado since they can't match any offers you know as we've right it seen with the whole you know mel tucker thing i mean that was what was really like really depressing about the mel tucker departure was that he he took Chris Kapilovich with him, who was their offensive line coach. And in my opinion was, you know, responsible for the offensive line turnaround that really showed up at the end of 2019. And then even though he was gone for 2020, I think really carried them through 2020. And then when his absence was really being felt in 2021 with the guy that they replaced him with Mitch Rodriguez, who just like stunk it up, you know, that's was, you know, the, in my opinion, the primary problem that Colorado's offense was having. And I mean, Colorado's offense was real bad last year. Um, So like, but that was the thing: is that Tucker took Kabilovich and that was pretty much it. Like he pretty much left the rest of the staff in Colorado. And like you know, when I was doing my preview in 2019 of of Tucker's new staff, and then 2020 of Durrell's new staff, and both of those times, I was noting that there were hangers on, like there were guys who continued. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, my supposition, and I I think I'm right about this. I, I've never seen any evidence to the contrary, and I've never had any Colorado fans or writers tell me the contrary is that like they they don't put any money into the program and mm-hmm. that they're sort of stuck with like well we're going to keep this coach because it's cheap yeah um and, 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 and i don't worry about it yeah yeah and, and and you know the colorado fan base is not you know uh, marching to the academic side and torching the building so mm-hmm. they're probably going to continue doing that um the, you know, the, uh, uh, and so if my supposition is, is correct about Chris Wilson, like, and somebody makes him an offer, he's probably gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that, that know, does uh, seem
1: like that, you know, if, if I'm an, an AD or somebody else that's looking, uh, in, in, in a hiring position, it seems to me that that's what I should be looking for. is oh, somebody yeah. that can adapt to the personnel, because the, the one thing you don't know is what personnel you're going to have. You can, Try your best, do your great recruiting, go after all the guys that you want. But at the end of the day, you have what you get, not what you want. And so you've got to make something out of that.
0: And it also makes you a, a primary Right. Yeah, I totally understand the, the the point that you're making that the AD can't predict in five years, which is when the contract term he needs to be thinking about. Yeah, he can't predict what the talent profile of his team is going to look like, where the strengths and weaknesses are going to be, and so uh, yeah, I would definitely want a, you know a master instead of a specialist. Um. I, I would also be looking for exactly the situation, a guy who's a real market value pickup because he's doing a great job on a team where it's not obvious that he's doing a great job because, mm-hmm. you know, probably Colorado's defensive stats will be relatively mediocre, but I suspect that they will overperform their talent rating. I mean, they would almost have to because their talent rating is so bad. Um <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, coaches for a school who can't match my offer, you know, you could probably, Mm -hmm. you know, expend a mere 100, 200 K more than you're currently paying your lousy DC and snag, you know, a real up and comer, Mm -hmm. um, in Colorado, will say, you know, fare thee well. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd really be worried about that. I mean, that's the position which Colorado and frankly a lot of teams in the Pac-12 are in. And like, as I've been going through this series and doing it over the years, like I notice it all, you know, over and over again is like. Hey, buddy! I will say to my podcast interviewee, "It looks like you've got a really good, you know, under the radar coordinator or position coach here. I I hope you enjoyed your time with him because it's probably coming (laughs) to an end. Um, You know, uh, you know, money's just the name of the game in college football. Sure, one of the realities that you know you have to. But anyways, as regards Colorado, the. you know, it's a low talent team. It's, you know, a lot of the coaching staff is there because they don't have any, you know, better option and that they're, mm-hmm. you know, might be looking to, to jump ship. I kind of like a couple of the pieces are always like the running back room. I think their wide receiver room may not be bad, but then here's the other problem is that, you know, I sort of think Carl Durrell is imposing stuff onto the offense, which is, you know, their, their roster can't support Like I, we spent all this time talking about Chris Wilson or Chris Wilson by proxy, because yeah, it looks like, you know, he's doing the the right thing with their defensive structure vis-a-vis their their personnel i don't think that carl durrell and the duty just hired mike sanford from from minnesota which like oh man you know go listen to that podcast when we were talking to jack bush you know about like that dude's used to having like five big uglies or even like six they play like six you know offensive linemen um you know sets and power running to go to colorado where like the offensive line is you know really really problematic and like you know, Mm -hmm. that that's just the killer thing about watching, about looking at at Colorado's roster versus what this offense is expected to be is like, there's probably a better solution to this. And even a dummy like me can see a better solution to this, but like draw probably not going to let him do it. And Sanford is probably not a master of his craft and probably only knows how to do this one thing, you know, like, and, and he had a couple of stops, you know, he's at Notre Dame. He was at, um, Boise state, uh, or excuse me, Utah state. Um, I forget all the stops that he's been at, but like if you look up his his record, he's turned in a couple of top 25 performances when he has a fantastic offensive line. So why on earth would you hire this guy, Carl? Like when uh, you don't have one, right? Yeah, it's like, can you not see that that was the issue? Like, I mean, I, I, I always, you know, I, I try to conceal it in my articles, but we're always a little loosey goosey or, you know, here on the podcast. Like I always sort of feel contempt for dumb coaching decisions when I can detect them because I'm an idiot, <laughs> right. Like I'm not a coach. I'm yeah. not a, you know, like all I'm doing is watching, you know, ESPN and, and taking notes on a computer. And if I can detect a, a, a strategic error that you're making, like, you better flip and believe that every single team that you're playing is picking up on that error and is designing a scheme to destroy you. Um, You're being paid not to make those kinds of errors. The simple,
1: the simple stuff that, that you will see simpler, I guess I should say stuff that, that knowledgeable, very knowledgeable fans will see who are not in the profession uh, are errors that uh, paid coaching staffs should not be making.
0: Yeah. Those guys don't have day jobs. That is their job. Right. Yeah. You know, they're doing like nothing I, but that. Yeah. This this is my hobby that I'm paid beer money to do. And I'm picking <laughs> up on this stuff. Like, yeah. I, I mean, like I should not be able to pay, you know, defeat you at a chess game when, you know, I spare about five seconds a week for it. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, and and frankly that ain't that problem ain't limited to Colorado. It's actually kind of weird how many times I'm seeing sort of the same thing on offense, teams going to a a a, a two tight end, you know, heavy um uh, you know, pro style offense when they don't have good multiple good tight ends and they don't have, you know, pro style talent. I have seen mm-hmm. that like on almost every team that I previewed so far. Um and, you know, spoiler alert, I think it's going to be true for both Stanford and Oregon state, you know, stay tuned for those articles. Um, I, I also think it's going to be true of Washington. I also think it's going to be, you know, uh, well, I, I will see about some of the other teams. Um, and I've been seeing a lot of the same thing on defense as well, uh, which is going to a two four five defense, um, because they don't have a big body to play in those. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, Uh, um, it's what it it effectively is what Arizona uh, has done it's it's what Cal had to do it looks like it's what Colorado um, is doing although Colorado has a different set of reasons for doing it Uh, it looks like it's what Stanford is doing it looks like it's what Oregon State is doing Stanford is lying about it I I, like that's a (laughs) little harsh but like yeah, this, this podcast interview hasn't aired yet, but like, you know, sneak sneak preview, uh we were interviewing Jabril Taha, who's a writer for the Stanford daily. Great guy. Really enjoy our conversations with him. And he's talking about, oh, well, the big change for Stanford, he was winking at it too. I'm not trying to to portray him as a dupe um, and not at all quite the opposite um, was that, uh, Oh, you know, everything was going wrong for Stanford. It was a three and 19. They're making a bunch of staff changes, right? Nope. They're not making a single staff change. David Shaw has never fired a dude in his life. Um, uh uh but their big schematic changes they're going from their 3-4 to the 4-3 and i'm like every part of that sentence is a lie it wasn't a 3-4 <laughs> beforehand because they had run out of defensive linemen and were being forced to play their 2-4-5 passing down package on every down oh, and they're not going to a a 4-3 a, a this year they don't have enough linebackers to play you know it's definitely not going to be a 4-3 um and, and, and guess what those those you know, edge rushers. What they did? Oh my god, it's so embarrassing. On the roster, they just took every one of their offense, excuse me, outside linebackers and just relabeled them edge players. And they're like, "Oh, <laughs> it's a four three now." It's like, no, it's not. You don't get to just change that dude's name and say yeah. we have a different structure now. Like, I it's I, I have a screen grab of it that I'm going to put in my article, it's like in attempt to embarrass these liars. Like, I'm, I'm getting hot about this. Like, um, I I like. Uh, I sort of goes back to like, if I can catch you in this stuff, you hang your head in shame. Cause I'm an idiot and a part-timer yeah. and an amateur and I don't have connections. I don't, nobody's telling me anything like this is, I looked at your roster. I watched your film. Like those are my tools. And I, anyway, lots of teams in the pac 12, this is the point that I wanted to make lots of teams in the pac 12 are going to a two down structure. Not uh, unlike Colorado, who I think is doing it because I think it's appropriate for the roster, but them accepted lots of teams in the Pac-12 are going down to a, to a two down structure um, on every down, you know, not just passing downs or not just because mm-hmm. they want to, but because they have to because they're not recruiting big defensive linemen. Look, I know big defensive linemen, you know, are, are hard to find in the Pac-12, but like if you're looking for an answer for why the Pac-12 struggles in big out of conference games and bowl season um, to play consistently throughout the year, you would do worse than that theory, which is that like, they can't, stop the run like they have to they they wind up having to devote their inside linebackers too much to run coverage and then they get beat over the top is basically the issue whereas if they had a big two gapper in the middle as their defensive structure called for they could afford to back out the the linebackers to play in pass coverage is where the real damage comes from in modern college football like that's the answer like you know that an offensive line you know struggles that's the other thing is that they're implementing offenses that require offensive linemen which guess what they don't have those dudes either um (laughs) i know i guess i'm not I'm not really seeing anything revolutionary here. I think everybody sort of basically understands the reason the Pac-12 struggles is because football is one in the trenches and the Pac-12 is bad in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, I, I can sure provide a whole lot of, you know, uh, granular team and player specific data to back up that proposition. It is super true. And on top of that, coaches aren't dealing with it. Well, um, they're not dealing with it well at all. Um, and, you know, I, I I don't, I don't know what the conclusion to this is. The thank your lucky stars that you're an Oregon fan where they recruit well on the lines. They know they recruit well on the lines, have appropriate schemes, I believe to, to, you know, that, and, you know, Oregon and USC are really starting to pull away from the rest of the pack, um, pack 12 in terms of where their talent ratings are. And like the core of that is offensive and defensive line recruiting. Like they're, the, the 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 separation is starting to get really serious like fbs versus fcs serious um and and, and yeah you know football's one of the trenches
1: agreed and oregon has had a, a nice little run of outstanding defensive players uh over the last decade or so and and hopefully that's going to continue
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, a lot of people I think around the country, when they think of Oregon, they think of flashy offense. Um, Mm -hmm. But like a lot of Oregon's, you know, the folks they put into the NFL. Right. You know, you're, you're talking about defensive <clears throat> linemen, linebackers. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, you know, Oregon's uh, done pretty well for itself. You know, up front, you know, the dirty work uh, kinds of jobs. Um, that are not easily associated with you know flashy, you know, the, the you know that's if you read other teams, you know, message boards, which let me tell you don't like, but <laughs> uh, I, I sort of have to in order to pick up news. You know, because I'm trying to keep you know player database of everything, and so like picking up like why wasn't that dude in practice? So I read them message boards and like every time there's any discussion of oregon which i shouldn't read you know that's just rubbernecking but i do anyway um and and it's like boy the misperceptions about oregon as a program um are pretty wild and they usually come back to that one it's like oh it's just a a glitzy flashy program that impresses everybody with hype and it wows these kids you know sparkling it's like really that's the reason why defensive linemen are getting drafted (laughs) out of oregon it's the the uniforms yeah the NFL, right. Yeah, the defensive loves... linemen who like are spilling yeah. out of their pants like they're the ones who <laughs> love the uniforms. Like, give, give me a break, guys. All right, that's about as much time as we got for it. as you got anything else before we wrap up? No,
1: just Go Ducks. I, I would just say that uh, Oregon is still down four-one to Stanford. Uh, they're coming into the last few holes here, so we need a big rally for the women's golf team.
0: Well, enjoy your week for everybody. Stay away from Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, it is apparently the worst place in the world. Um, and you don't need to go any farther than this podcast because it may not rain in Scottsdale, but it never rains on this podcast.